I don't know if y'all do this much, but every now and then, I just stop in the middle of my day, whatever my day is like, whether it's I'm having a good day or a bad day, I just thank him that I'm not dead. Because the wages of sin is death, right? And have you ever caught yourself in a bad attitude? You ever had that happen? Right? Like just a bad attitude. You know, like you're driving down the road and you got your worship music on or, you know, whatever, and you're just driving to the grocery. And you're like, man, my attitude is bad. You ever had that happen? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe this is Confession Sunday for the past, I guess. I don't know what's going on, but... Even in that exact moment, he's still like, that's my boy. That's my boy. You know what I'm saying? He, he's too good to us, y'all. I'm telling you. Well, before I get into my message this morning, I have an announcement for you. How many of you came, was it last, uh, yeah, last month we had an evening service in Chalmette. How many of you drove down for that? Y'all remember? Some of y'all did. Then you were there for family day. We announced it then, too. We just did a class in Chalmette called Renew Faith and Finance. And it is a, it was a five weeks, right? It was a five-week class that Mike and uh, Raphael, one of, our, one of the church's CPAs, put together that we did in Chalmette. It was the first time we did it. They just finished it last weekend. And when we announced it in Chalmette, I had people in Meta be like, hey, can we come? And I'm like, well, hold up, not yet because we can only do so many at a time. And when we announced it in Chalmette the first morning, the class was full before the announcement was finished. So when we did it, we met, we had lunch this week. It was like, how can we do this more efficiently? And both of them said, we're going to do it in one day instead of over five weeks. And I said, well, if you're going to do it in one day, then we need to do it in Metro before the end of the year. So, Mike, would you come up real quick and just share? Y'all welcome Mike this morning. Good morning, Metairie. I'm Mike Fernandez, um, and I'm very, very excited about this, uh, this financial ministry. So what we have, our mission with Renew is to give God's people the tools, the resources, and the knowledge to live in abundance and to use that abundance and that overflow to build the kingdom of God. And we're so excited for what God's doing and what God's going to do in this, and we're so excited to bring it here to Metairie for you guys. So this is not some abstract philosophical discussion about money. It is real. It's hands-on. There's a budgeting workshop. We talk about biblical principles of wealth. We talk about mindset. We talk about credit, debt, and interest. We go over investing and best practices and strategies. And then my personal favorite is, <coughs> excuse me, my personal favorite is at the end we do a panel Q&A. And so we bring in uh, business people, people that are financially successful, and people who are just really smart, whether it comes to faith or finances, and we let y'all have that and ask them questions. And the questions that came up and the answers that came, like, I was taking notes because it was absolutely phenomenal. So we're super excited about it. We got the, uh, the first guinea pig class in, got all the kinks worked out, so now it'll be a, a nice refined product for y'all. But we're super excited, and, um, and it'll be December 10th uh, coming up. Uh, the admission is $50, all goes towards, like, the materials for the class and lunch and stuff like that. We're not, like, you know, making boatloads of money or anything, right? But um, so $50, December 10th, and it will be a full day, more than likely 9 to 4.30, uh, again, with lunch provided. 
Um, in that, I know some of y'all might be thinking, well, I'm coming to learn about money because I ain't got none. Y'all only to pay $50. Well, invest in yourself. If you have trouble with the 50, come let me know. But don't come to let me know without something because this is about you investing in yourself. The only thing you didn't mention, I just realized, is we are trying not to have to provide childcare. So if you can find a babysitter for your kids, that will be absolutely fantastic. We will have the registration set up for you next Sunday. Here you can register. We didn't have it this morning because we couldn't confirm all the details of it till literally I was on the phone 10 minutes before service started confirming it. So, But I'm telling you, the feedback we got from the first round that went through was absolutely fantastic. You don't want to miss it. Um, and it, what's great is whether you're doing good financially or not, you're still going to learn something. Amen? How many of you just want to get better? All right. Everybody who didn't raise your hand, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Bless him in Jesus' name. I'm in a series called Wonder in the Wilderness. It's a four-week series. So I'm going to let you all know the, the fourth Sunday, the last Sunday of this month, Brother Carl preaches the last Sunday of every month here. So the fourth part of this sermon series, you're going to have to watch it online or drive to Shelmet after service because I won't be able to preach it here because of the way the calendar falls. But I'm in a series called Wonder in the Wilderness, and this morning is called The Wonder of His Plan. Last week was The Wonder of Being Led. This morning is The Wonder of His Plan. And you might be thinking, those things sound very similar. Well, they are. They are. If you were to ask me to explain the difference, the wonder of being led is the day-by-day, the, the -day zoomed-in practice or understanding of how God leads us day-by-day-by-day. -day -day. This is where God is leading us, how God is leading us, the big picture of his plan, Right? I was talking with Mike on the way here this morning. My wife and I view life from two different perspectives. I am just about all big picture. My wife is all small picture. So let me tell you what that looks like. I was joking with Mike this morning, right? By the age of 40, I want to own a piece of land north of I-12. Right, I want to have somewhere that I can eventually put a trailer and evacuate. Because if if north of I-12 floods, the whole world's underwater. You know what I'm saying? Like if it gets that far up, we got some problems. So I want a piece of land. If I can shoot some deer on it too, that'd be great. But I want a piece of land by the time I'm 40. Right? Amen for everybody in the room who likes hunting. Hallelujah. But and and in my mind, I'm already thinking of how I want to clear the land and where I want it to be, what I want it to look like. Like, my mind is already there. I'm 35. I'm five years down the road already. My wife is like, hey, we got Christmas, we got Thanksgiving, <laughs> and we got the presents and the food and everything. I'm like, eh, whatever. We got the land we got to buy. When in reality... I need both. Like, I got to think about Thanksgiving, but if I do want to buy something, I start thinking about that, right? See, a lot of times as Christians, we get caught in one or two camps, and we're out of balance. We get caught in the camp of, I'm thinking about where God's going to have me, and one day I'm going to be a missionary in Uganda. The other person is, the Lord testify to Jesus, I'm going to make it to dinner. 
And it's this massive difference, and we fail to understand that God is in both. But if I'm not careful, I will miss God in the one that I'm not looking and living in. Because there's so many people who miss out on God right here and right now because they're so far down the road. And there's some people who never get to maximize God's plan because they don't plan for where he's taking them. And so today, I want you to wonder. See, last week was the wonder of being led and how he leads. And he led by the cloud by day and the fire by night. And it's a process. And it's, he leads through relationship. And he leads through devotion. And he leads through his word. And he's showing us and guiding us step by step. He will literally direct your path every single day, all day long. But we've got to remember, he's directing our path somewhere. <clears throat> Pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Bless it. Help my voice make it because for some reason it's being weird today. And I pray that you let every person that sound of my voice leave this place change, wanting and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. I want to tell you a quick story. We were, uh, my brother and sister-in-law, um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, sorry, my wife's brother. Uh, they live in Charleston, South Carolina, <clears throat> and they were getting married, and they wanted to take their pictures on the beach. Now, I'm going to let you know something right now. Y'all know I don't like the heat, right? Like, I walked outside this morning. I could have had church outside in shorts. Like, give me all the cold. I want, I, if I could store it and, like, hold it and then release it again in July, y'all, I'd be, I'm going to invent something that lets me store cold weather. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I'm going to just soak it all up. And then when it's miserable and all y'all crazy hot weather people are all loving it, like, watch this. 40. It'd be amazing. Well, I despise being hot. But the only thing that I despise more than being hot is being dressed up and hot. Because what is the purpose of putting on a nice outfit if I look like I just wrestled a pig in a pool? What's the purpose? Well, we get married in, in Charleston, South Carolina. We're not. My wife's brother is. And we get there. And bless the Lord, it was breezy, y'all. And I'm like, man, it's a gorgeous day. It was breezy. And in the morning, I'm like, it's going to be hot, but it's windy, and we're on the beach. Bless the Lord. Well, I find out we're going to take pictures on the beach. Now, I'm about to know right now, wedding pictures are demonic. Next. So, <laughs> next. Like, I, the, the smi- it's the smiling, right? I'm just going to stand here. Let's bring everybody else in. I'm just not going to move. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to just smile because it gets stuck. And then you find yourself smiling like four hours late trying to eat. You can't get the roast beef, a little sandwich in your mouth because you're stuck in a smile, right? Anyway, and so we're going to take these pictures. And so we get in this little bus that did not have air conditioned. And we drive. I'm like, but the windows is down. I got my jacket off. I got my sleeves rolled up. Like, I'm in full-blown, nothing else matters but stay in cool mode. And we get there, and like, okay, we got to walk to take pictures. I'm like, well, of course, we're taking pictures on the beach. We had to walk. Stanley, we had to walk. <laughs> my guy, I don't think you understand, we had to walk. Right, we're walking through this, na- we're taking pictures on, like, a national park kind of thing. And it had a trail. And most of the time, I appreciate trails and national parks. But I have never walked one in a tuxedo before, right? Well, I'm going to take a picture, and we're walking. And the problem is is that there are, remember, it's breezy, right? Well, there was no breeze on this trail because there was like 15, 10 to 15-foot random trees 
So there was no breeze. We just walked through the gauntlet of hell. And you know, it was ugly. It wasn't pretty. All I mean, you know, we ain't, nobody's even talking. You know, you start and everybody's like coming up. It's a wedding party. Everybody's having fun. Nobody was talking. Nobody was speaking to each other. The, the bride and groom had done separated. Like, we ain't even talking no more. But then we get to this beach. Y'all, this beach was gorgeous. And by the time we got there, one, one of the grooms, no, he, was, he was already drunk, bless his heart. But one of the grooms been, took off his pants and his shirt and got down on his underpants because he was so hot and it was so breezy. He's like, I'm just going to cool off. Yeah, it was that hot. But we finally make it. And, I mean, there's this gorgeous rock formation. I mean, there's a beautiful spot to take pictures. Like, I would have been great if it had been October. But it wasn't. And so, like, we made it all the way through this horrendous journey. Because somebody knew there was purpose for it on the other side of it. And when you look at the pictures now, they did a really good job of editing them. And they look amazing. Because there was a purpose at the end of this ridiculously long process. Open your Bibles to Exodus 14 for me. Exodus 14. We're, we're, last week was zoomed in. We're kind of talking about the same subject as zooming out this week. Exodus 14. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, which you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. Staying with the story of the nation of Israel from the, in the Exodus when they leave Egypt, we reach the Red Sea. And it's important to remember that last week they were led by a cloud by day and a fire by night. That means that they were led by God to the Red Sea. Right? Can we agree? They were led by God to the Red Sea. They were led by God into a situation that they could not get over by themselves. They were led by God up against an immovable object. Sin did not get them in this position because they were following the cloud. They were following God. They were being obedient, and they still found themselves in a situation against an immovable object. Object. Most of the time, we think that we did something dumb, and that's why we're in the position we're in. No, if you're living right and you're following God, you still end up at the Red Sea. And we, we don't think about this. We don't realize this. We don't talk about it. He's led them into this spot. Has God ever put you in an impossible situation? Not, not yourself. See, we're real good at putting ourselves in impossible situations. But see, what tends to happen is we're following God. He brings us into an impossible situation, and we make it worse in our temper tantrums. But if we're being obedient, let's look at Psalm 34, 17 real quick. Y'all, I've quoted these verses so many times. I'm serious. I've said them at funerals. I've prayed them. I've read them, and I never, ever had the thought click in my mind. What I, when, when I'm going to read to you this morning. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves such that they have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Who's this verse talking to? Who? The righteous. Go back to verse 17. 
The righteous cry out. Sinners are not righteous. People who are lost are not righteous. I'd like to dispel the myth today that Christianity is supposed to always be happy. I want to dispel the myth today that Christianity is never, ever, ever supposed to be difficult. It's never supposed to be complicated. It's never supposed to be work. It's never supposed to be... I want to dispel the myth this morning. Because the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and he delivers them out of all their troubles. I need to ask you a question. If the righteous is someone who's following God and he delivers them out of all their troubles, that means that the troubles they're in are not caused by their unrighteousness. That means the troubles they're in are followed by their obedience to God. That means there are times that you can be walking step for step where God wants you to be and still find yourself in a position of trouble. We don't like to talk about that. We like that verse of scripture that says everything's good. That isn't one. I don't know if you knew that. That isn't a verse of scripture. I'm making sure. We live as if we get saved and, and every day is like a crawfish ball. Like I don't understand. Like every day is just perfect and it's not the case at all. These troubles that we see here they come from being in the process oh my lord the righteous cry out and the lord hears them delivers them out of all his troubles the lord is near to those who have a broken heart oh man i don't like having a broken heart but you know what's going to happen one day my daddy's going to go be with Jesus. Sin's not gonna, my sin is not going to make my daddy go be with Jesus. My grandmother's going to go be with Jesus one day. My aunts and I see you right now. They, these people are going to go be with Jesus. And my sin, I'm not doing something and I'm reaping the death of No, no, no. I'm walking with God. I'm praying. I'm seeking heaven. I'm trying to advance the kingdom. And I'm still going to have a broken heart. For some reason, the world... The antagonist, really it's the enemy. But the culture of the world, the antichrist spirit in our society has painted any type of hardship in Christianity as the proof that God isn't real. When, no, 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 the hardship in Christianity is the proof that it rains on the just and the unjust. We just get to walk through it with God and you don't. But see, we've got to understand this because we're the ones that usually do a bad job of giving him glory and credit through the hard times. Because even though we believe this to be true, logically, we do not believe this to be true practically. Because when I'm walking through a hard time on a Tuesday, I don't find myself singing, your goodness is running after me. I don't see myself singing that way. Being in the process. It's so important to understand the reality of this before we move on. That God led Israel to the Red Sea. Israel didn't run outside of God's will. End up at the Red Sea. Cry out to be saved. And God swooped in. No, that happens too. 
we do something stupid, end up in a bad spot and cry out and God steps in and saves us, like that does happen. But that is not what happened here. They are being obedient. They are following the cloud. And the next thing, too, we got to realize is that they could not deny they followed God. You know why? Because they were following a cloud. There was a cloud by day and a gigantic pillar of fire by night. They would walk out their tent and go, oh, we're going to be moving. Next day, oh, we ain't. It didn't move. We staying. They, there was no denying that it was God that led them there. When we are not, remember what wonder means. Wonder is to be in awe and almost surprised at how amazing something is. We have to be in wonder of his plan. The fact that God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing, not just today, November, what is it, 12th? November 13th. Thank you. Not just today, November 13th. But he knows what he's doing, November 13th in 2050. And before I move on, I forgot to do this. I'll do that at the end. Remind me to do what I forgot at the end, okay? Thank you. <laughs> when I don't wonder, when I'm not in wonder of, of his plan, I will wander in frustration. And I think that frustration is the number one killer of the joy of the Lord. Not comparison. It's frustration. Because frustration is how all jealousy and bitterness and, and regret and resentment starts is frustration. Frustration is like, like, you know those little charts where it goes green, yellow, red? Frustration is the first spot there's yellow. Because, see, I can be frustrated and then be over it in five minutes, 30 seconds. I get frustrated all the time driving. All the time. I'm telling you. My dad used to say it, and he's 100% right, except it's true about me and not him, that if the whole world drove like me, the world would be a better place. <laughs> My dad used to say, give me God's power for one day, and I'd make everybody drive like me, and I'd give it right back to him, and we'd be fine. That's what he used to say all the time. I inherited this driving frustration from my father. Apparently, it was a generational thing passed down from my daddy that we are just frustrated the way everybody else drives except for me. If you have it in front of me, I'm praying in the spirit, trying to get frustrated at you, probably. It's probably what's happening. But frustration gets in. We can toss it off real quick. But the problem is we don't ever deal with it. We don't ever talk about it. We don't ever give it to the Lord. And then frustration becomes bitterness. There are a lot of people who have gotten frustrated at where God has led them, but they never gave it to God, got ministry about it, were held accountable about it. And the next thing you know, they're bitter with God because of where they are. Because, Lord, this is not where I thought you'd have me. I didn't think I would be here at 30. I didn't think I'd be like this at 40. I didn't think I'd have this amount of money at 35. This is not, this is not what I thought, God. But, and I've been following you. I've been doing what you told me to do. And here I am like this. See, when, I, when I'm in wonder of his plan, it doesn't matter where I'm at because I'm following him. 
and he's taking me somewhere, and his ways are higher than my ways, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, give you a hope and a future. I know that he's preparing a place for me, John 14. He's, he's got something better for me coming, but if I'm not careful, I will be frustrated at where he's got me. Stop for a second and think about how ungrateful and immature that is. You know how when you're feeding your kid dinner and they complain about the dinner? And you want to be like, sucker, go get your own food. There's the door. Go ahead. I know you're six. Go ahead. Go to the store. Get you some food. See what happens. You come back with Cheetos if somebody buys them for you. Right? No. Your mama slaved over that stove after working all day because you don't want me to cook. So, like, the food's good. Eat it. I don't like it. You liked it last week. Well, that was last week. Right? Like, that, no, that's what we sound like. God, I've been following you. I've been obeying you. You pulled me out the miry pit. You set me free from addiction. You got me out of that relationship. You got me out of those bad habits. I was suicidal. I was bound. I was blind and lost and walking into a ditch. You changed all of it. You put me on a solid ground. I get to walk with you. I'm surrounded by the best crowd of people I've ever been around in my entire life, and yet I'm still angry because I'm not where I thought I would be. We forget all that he's done. We forget all that we believe and sing about that he's doing because on Wednesday at 4.30, it don't look like we thought it should. Whoo, son, I'm preaching this morning. Man, y'all don't even got to say amen. I'm preaching to myself. Hallelujah. Y'all can just listen. I'm amen to myself. Because, see, when I get frustrated and I get bitter, I disconnect from the purpose because the cloud moves and I don't want to go. I want you to change this first. When God's like, no, you have to walk through this to get there. And you can't handle there until you walk through this. Job 9.23 is on your screen. from my favorite verse of Scripture. Did you know that God's ambidextrous? Think about it for a second. You, who's right-handed? Raise your hand. Anybody left-handed? Well, that's pretty even split. I ain't going to lie to you. That's like we defy the odds here. That not matter every tabernacle. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But my grandpa was ambidextrous. My grandpa, when, when he was a hunter, he could shoot with with both hands, which is very rare, to be able to act accurately shoot and duck hunt with both hands. He could shoot left-handed with a pistol, right-handed with a pistol. He could write with both hands. It was pretty wild. When he was a kid and he would get punished work, he would write one set of punish work with his left hand and one right at the same time. Yeah, like he was very, very ambidextrous. But, see, I'm not. My right hand is much stronger than my left hand. If you're left-handed, your left hand is much stronger than your right hand, which means that there's weakness in me. Did you know that all throughout Scripture it talks about that he upholds us with his mighty right hand, right? And the arm of the Lord is not too short, speaking of his right arm. And, and sometimes you would think the Bible would make it sound like God only has one hand or one arm because it always talks about his right side and his right hand and his right arm. But you do know he has a left arm, right? Do you know why we don't ever hear about it? Well, this is good. It's in Job chapter 9. Don't pull it up. I'm not sure. The, I think it's verse 23, but I'm not positive. It, Job says, 
Your right hand moves, though I cannot perceive it, which means I don't understand what it's doing. But your left hand moves, and I see it not. What that means is that God, I need both hands for this, so. What this means is that God's right hand is working on me to get me where I'm going. God's left hand is on where I'm going, working on it to get it ready for me. And you've got to remember that there's no weakness in God. So just as strong as he is working on you, he is that strong working over here. So, and remember, he's not going to fall short because he's faithful to fulfill it in his heart. Philippians 1.6, he's going to finish the good work. So this position will be ready. But if I argue and complain and fuss and fight, this will be ready and I won't be on time. That's what happens when I wander in frustration. I disconnect from the purpose of God. So, how can I stop this? What are the three reasons I wander in frustration? The first one is I forget what he's doing. We forget what he's doing. So often we think that the promised land is the main focus or the point of the journey. And we have to remember that what God is doing in us is just as, if not more important than where God is leading us. Because he wants to make us more like Jesus. God's purpose for all that I've been through to get me to where I'm at on November 13th, 2022. All that I've been through was not to make me the pastor of two churches. That wasn't the goal. The goal was that by the time I got here, I'd be more like Jesus than I was three years ago. And he's using the, the, the unique <clears throat> and the individual manner of my journey to make me more like Jesus in the process. You want to know why you've got to keep walking through the journey? Because you're going to meet somebody five years from now who needs the Jesus you're supposed to have in you then. But you might run into them five years from now, and you haven't grown an ounce because you've been bitter and mad at God. And then when you walk in, that person comes, and they're bound by an addiction. They're in a bad marriage, and you're supposed to be able to bring them out of it. But because you've been pouting because where the clouds got you, you don't have enough of Jesus to bring an impact to that person's life. But because God loves them so much, God will go get somebody else who's on pace with the cloud, and that cloud's going to bump into that person. That person's going to begin to meet them, love on them, disciple them, train them. When you get to heaven, they get to heaven, you're going to have a spot that's supposed to have a jewel in your crown, and that person's going to have an extra one. Why? Because you weren't submitted to the hand of God the whole time. You were being petty about how you couldn't afford to buy a boat when you wanted to. That was a shot to myself. Just letting y'all know right now. Just shot at me. We forget what he's doing. He's preparing us for where he's taking us. He's using the journey to prepare you for the promise. It's the process that gets you ready for the promise, but the process is so crucial to the fact of what he's doing in your life because it's making you more like him. We've got to remember that we are not ready for the promise now or we would have it. He is preparing you for the promise as much as he is preparing the promise for you. The second reason that we wander in frustration is we forget why he's doing it. First is we forget what he's doing. The second we forget why he's doing it. God, I see what you're doing, but why are you doing it this way? 
I understand that you're trying to make me more patient. But why do you have to use my spouse? I understand that you're trying to make me more, more loving. But why do you have to use my mother-in-law? And I can say that because I got the best. I hit the jackpot on mother-in-laws. Why? Are you trying to teach me self-control and get rid of idolatry and making the saints so terrible? (laughs) Why are you teaching me humility and letting Brian Kelly be successful when I said he wasn't going to be at the beginning of the year? And now LSU's in an SEC championship game and people like Mike remind me every day that I said Brian Kelly wasn't going to be any good. (laughs) Why? Why are you doing it this way? You know that's an okay question to ask? You know that, right? You know why I know it is? Because Jesus did. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows what God is doing. He is purchasing the salvation of humanity. He is about to destroy the power of sin forever. He understands exactly what God is doing. But Jesus says, if there be another way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus even asked God, is there another way or does it have to be this way? Why does it have to be this way? Back to Psalm 34. The righteous are following the Lord and being obedient, yet they still have a broken heart and afflictions. Back to Exodus. God leads Israel to the Red Sea. This is good. Stay with me. God leads Israel to the Red Sea. The cloud and the fire led them up against an immovable object. But they got there and stopped. Why? Why did God bring them to the Red Sea? And when they got there, he was like, hey, Moses, raise your your, your staff and... It would, why? Why did he stop? Then, then, then you turn around, and Egypt's there with their horses and their chariots and their soldiers. And so Israel finds themselves backed up against an immovable object And being chased by an unstoppable force. And God led him there. This question, it it struggles. It, It makes me struggle a little bit because he's leading me the way he's leading me because he is who he says he is. The third reason we wander in frustration is because we forget who's leading us. Now, follow me. They leave Egypt. They follow the cloud by day and the fire by night. And it brings them up to the Red Sea. And the cloud stops moving. Y'all, this is, this, this, I was in my backyard on Monday, and I did a 30-second praise break. The cloud brings them up to the Red Sea and stops. God could have opened the Red Sea. They could have walked across. The Red Sea could have closed, and they would have never even seen Egypt. But he makes them wait. God has his people standing there looking at the Red Sea, knowing they can't cross it. And he keeps them there long enough until their enemy catches up to them. God let 
the bad guys catch them. God had them up against the Red Sea, and God made them wait until their enemy, their, their enslaver, caught up to them. Why? So God could show them that he's greater than the immovable object and the unstoppable force in one motion. Because God works smarter, not harder. So God says, y'all going to sit right here. I don't want to wait. Wait. But God, I don't want to wait. Okay, waiting. Hey, God, uh, Egypt, we still waiting? Yep. I'm sure if, if I'm Moses, Moses has got somebody just staring at the cloud. Like, it's your job. Don't you lose track of that. You stare at the cloud the whole time. Don't blink. Don't go to sleep. Don't eat. You stare at the cloud. And you let me know the moment that thing starts moving. Yes, sir. Ted. Ted, it moved. Nope, it ain't moved yet. You got everybody panicking because the Egypt's coming. The ground is probably shaking at the amount of horses and chariots that are coming. Hey, Ted. Nope, it ain't going nowhere yet. It's still there. Still right here. Moses is like, get your stick. Get my stick. God, the stick can't fight Egypt, and it can't part. The- Why are you so obsessed with this stick, God? This stick is insane. What is the issue? And that's a whole other sermon here that I'm trying really hard not to start preaching right now. Why? This, well, what is the deal? And he says, no, go take the stick. Go over to the Red Sea. God, the soldiers, the Red Sea can't kill me right here. The Red Sea stopped. It's not coming any closer. They're going to kill me. Go to the Red Sea. Why can't we deal with the soldiers? Shut up and do what I'm telling you. Go to the Red Sea. And he goes to the Red Sea. And his one act of obedience, please listen to this, his one act of what seemed like absolutely foolish obedience, of lifting up a rod over the Red Sea, parts the waters, Israel walks through the waters, then God could have closed it. God could have closed the Red Sea and been done with it. But God most likely timed it, knowing how slow Israel was going to walk because it's a couple million people. He timed it so that right as Israel is getting out, Pharaoh thinks they can catch them. The one question I have is, what made Pharaoh think the water was going to stay like it was? <laughs> and this is not something you see every day. Oh, that's cool. It's a wall. It's a wall. <laughs> Let's just go. <laughs> like I, Anyway, that means to tell me that Israel was close enough to Pharaoh when they got there. That Pharaoh thought we could get to them before they get to the other side. Because their God is surely not going to drown them. Here's how close that is. You realize how scary it had to be, how fearful it had to be, how terrified Israel had to be. They're walking in the middle of the Red Sea, and they cannot outrun Pharaoh. No, God knew that it was the perfect amount of time and the perfect amount of speed for the moment that the last whatever person, whether it was a young person, old person, kid, Moses, soldier, whoever, took their step out of the Red Sea. He tells Moses, lift your stick, quick, lift it, lift it, lift it. He turns around, and every, every, all of Egypt dies. The whole army dies. But if God would have done it early, Israel would have only seen half of its deliverance. Listen carefully. If you're not following him, you're missing out on half of your deliverance. 
If you're not paying attention and being obedient, you're missing out on half of it. See, we're so busy seeing what we know God is doing. You're, like for me, God was preparing me to pastor a church. He was preparing me to pastor a church. He's preparing me to pastor a church. I had no idea the things that he was doing that I would have to do right now. See, right now, I'm wondering what in the world am I going to be doing in 10 years? The fact that I'm in so much construction and, and lawsuits. And, what, and God, this is a little scary of all the stuff that I'm fooling right now, that what I'm going to be doing in 10 years because this is part of the process. But God waited until the most perfect moment because God wanted to demonstrate that not only is he greater than your obstacles, but he's greater than your adversaries. And he did it in such a way to do it at the same time. Not only am I stronger, I'm so much stronger, I can coordinate how I deliver you and destroy your enemies. You cannot forget who's leading. Because then you forget who's leading, you'll wander in frustration. You'll be stuck, wringing your hands up at the top of your car. God, why are you doing this? Why am I still struggling financially? Why am I still not in a, in a relationship? Why, why are my kids still giving me issues? Why this? Why that? Why this? Why that? No, 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 no. Follow the cloud. Trust him. Because he's got a reason that he hasn't moved yet. And if you know that you've been righteous, if you know that you've walked the way you're supposed to walk and you're clinging to Jesus. And like the old song says, you're holding to God's unchanging hand and you're not quitting and you're not dying out and you're staying faithful. Trust him. Because he will not only part the Red Sea, but he will set it up in a way that when he closes the Red Sea, he destroys your adversary. See, what's amazing is that this fact, too, is that once Israel crossed the Red Sea and the army of Egypt died and they drowned, Israel was never occupied by Egypt again. What God is looking to deliver you from, you'll never see again. I'm believing that this lawsuit building mess in Chalmette is going to signal the end of this ministry ever dealing with a lack of resources again because it's going to drown in the Red Sea. Now, I have to be in awe of his plan. I have to be in awe of his plan, in awe of what he's doing. What miracle is God setting you up for? What, what is God leading you into? I remember I'm, I'm a big-time Saints fan, and, and I remember watching. It was the 06 season. First year we had Drew Brees. First year we, Reggie Bush was a rookie that year, and everybody was expecting Reggie Bush to be like the greatest football player ever, and he was really struggling getting used to playing in the NFL because he needed a lot of space, and the NFL does not a lot of space. Everybody's fast. We're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home, and I'm at Wow and Shelmet, and I'm watching the game. And I remember it's the fourth quarter. I think we're tied or we're losing by a field goal, and they're punting the ball to Reggie Bush, and there's like two minutes left. And I remember sitting there, and I said, he's going to run it back and score a touchdown. He hadn't scored a touchdown yet. And what I remember about it is if you – I could pull a highlight up on YouTube. He goes to the back, and he starts lifting his hands to the crowd already. Like, y'all just start cheering now because I'm taking it to the house. He's got his hands up. Come on, let's go. He get the dome, starts rocking. 
He catches the whole dome is watching him. He catches the ball. Defense comes. He makes one move and just turns on the Jets and runs right into the end zone and wins the game. And the Holy Spirit told me, Hebrews 12, 2, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that run, let us run our race with joy. See, you're being set up right now. And there's a lot of opposition. He was one man. There was 11 guys trying to stop him. But there were 70,000 people cheering him on. There are more cheering for you than those that are working against you. But Reggie had to sit there and wait for the ball to get to him. He had to wait for his time. He had to wait for his moment. And what was he doing? He let everybody know this is about to be good. This, this is what's about to happen. I'm about to take this thing to the house. We're going to win the game. Watch. This is what's about to happen. I want you to tell three people today when we leave, this is what God's about to do in my life. Tell three different people. Why? Because you're, you're testifying about what God's about to do before we did it, which is the greatest kind of praise there is. God's about to do this. God is bringing me into this. But some of you might be battling frustration. If you would bow your heads this morning. I preached a little long today. Sorry. <laughs> you may be here this morning. You could say, Pastor Chris, I'm, I'm battling with frustration. If you're battling with frustration, I want you to stand up right now. If you're battling with, Lord, I'm just not doing okay with where things are. What I want you to do right now is I want you to lift your hands and thank him that you know he has a plan. Thank him. Say, I'm thankful you have a plan. I'm thankful that you have a purpose and a plan. Now I want you to thank him for what you're believing him for. Thank him like it's already done. Don't tell him. Come on, don't, don't this is not a, a, a whisper moment. Come on, somebody begin to thank Jesus for what he's about to do in your life. I come into agreement with everything being spoken right now in Jesus' name. I come into agreement with the provision with the purpose, with the breakthrough, with the favor, with the raises, with the breakthrough in relationship, with the breakthrough in the family, with the deliverance coming to the house, with salvation coming to the house, with freedom and with, with financial breakthrough, career breakthrough. I thank you for freedom from habits and deliverance right now in Jesus' name. Right now. I thank you, Lord, that we don't need to do anything but expect you to move and open ourselves up and you'll do it. Father, I thank you right now that you are reminding us to be in total wonder of who you are and what you're doing. I thank you, God, that I declare seasons are coming to an end in Jesus' name. 
I thank you, Lord, that the heartbreak season is ending, God, in Jesus' name. I thank you for the brokenness, God, that we've been broken. God, we, we're ready. God, move, move in us. Move us forward in Jesus' name. I pray right now, lastly, God, I pray for a fresh infilling of joy where there's frustration. That you would overwhelm them with the joy of the Lord to be their strength. That they would know without a shadow of a doubt that you are leading them and guiding them. And that when they reach the promised land, when they reach the purpose that you have for them, it will be greater than they could possibly imagine. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. You got homework. I need you to tell three people what God's going to do. Tell the people in your life group so they can hold you accountable. But the last thing I want to do this morning, and I forgot to do it before I started preaching. Are there any veterans here this morning?